0: Welcome to Episode 5 of the Sunday Conversation Podcast, presented by Loyalty Liquors.
1: I'm Aaron. Across the table from me, that's Ben. Ben, how was your week, buddy? Uh, week was great. Jeez, um, you know, another week. Just got to keep chugging humanity. We're good. We got this. So kind of uh, kind of a
0: special episode for us this week. We uh, we have our first interview with uh, Ben's friend first and boss second, uh, Trevor Arderburn. Uh, Trevor's uh, a kid who comes from uh, a family of, of relatively small business owners uh, down in Texas. Um, interesting interview. We interviewed him uh, about a half an hour ago. So. Um, that'll be cool for us to jump into, but it fits perfectly into what we wanted to talk about. So Ben and I were, were talking earlier this week about um, kind of coronavirus, what it's going to do to a lot of small businesses, namely restaurants. Um, and we don't want to get too, too much into coronavirus because we've talked about it uh, ad nauseum at this point. But um, But Ben and I both come from small business owners and and small business owning families. Um, So we wanted to talk a little bit about small business and and kind of what it means to the fabric of America. Uh, So Ben, um, why don't we kind of start with, um, you know, your family, your family background, what your dad does, all that stuff.
1: Um, Yeah, I actually come from, uh, let's see. So my dad uh, has a small fence company in Connecticut, which I, I worked for him for the entirety of my life uh, just up until about a year and a half ago when I moved down here. Um, and then his father, my grandpa, he was also a business owner. Uh, he owned a company that, that built incinerators, uh, shipped them all over the world. Then my mom's father was a business owner. He owned a machine shop in Manchester, Connecticut, and, um, machined a lot of parts, um, like for example, like would make the parts to sell to Duracell so that they could make their batteries, if, if that makes sense. Um, so he had a machine shop. He was a, a very sa- savvy businessman. I uh, learned a lot from him. Uh, he passed away, um, unfortunately, obviously, but you know, it happens in life. Um, so yeah, I've kind of just, I've been around business. Um, I had a pretty, a pretty lucrative worm business when i was about four years old um i dug worms in my backyard and sold them on the street i don't think i ever got a sale um but it's the thought that counts well the worm business yeah. is competitive yeah i mean there's a guy down the street selling night crawlers for you know half the price twice the size it's like what am i supposed to do here i mean you know shop local which you know brings us brings us full circle but um yeah so i i've Always kind of had a a mentality of, um, or I guess you could say a business mentality. I got a business uh, business degree from Castleton State College, um, which is now Castleton University. And not that not that uh, you know business school is what has like taught me everything in life. I think everything that I've learned in life, I've learned just simply through living, uh, like firsthand just experience. So, I mean, I definitely not that it's the only important thing there is in life like business, but I think if you can get like, if you have the mindset, like a business mindset, I think you, you quickly start to, to realize that, um, you know, working for yourself is, is a sense of freedom. I don't know. Do you want to, do you want to step in a little Aaron here? And just, yeah, so, I mean, so I, I'm kind of dragging off from your original question about how I got my start, but I'm not, i am not, I'm not even started. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like I'm just living, I guess. So,
0: well, I, what I would ask you is like, so what, what are some of the things that like you took away from, working closely with your dad in a, in a business that you know i'm sure you had some say in in what happened but um obviously your your dad when you were working when you were working for Mico, um was running the show what what would you say some things some lessons that you've learned from from uh working in a, in a family business
1: uh lessons i should have learned when i was working or lessons <laughs> looking back now i mean a little a little bit but a little bit of patience both, you know? patience probably would have would have been a good lesson to to uh so for for me like my dad he he started his company called Myco. his name's mike but m-i-c-o it, it was it it was meant to be my company and he started a company because he didn't want to work for his father's company so um in a sense you know he kind of broke off and then started something for for himself so for me to try to change something that he created for himself sometimes doesn't go the way the way you hope it goes you know um hey i love my dad i i i you know have a better relationship with him now than when we were working together that's a fact um he started his company in 1983 we're in 2020 that's that's all you gotta say you know it's just like a lot has changed it's like we've moved from an era of yellow pages to a smartphone so it's like with that it's like everything's everything's changed so it's like with you constantly need to be kind of growing and you know we'll talk about that with trevor but um It's a, it's, it's a touchy subject. I don't know. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, working, working with family's tough, right? Cause so for, for those who don't know, my, uh, my family has been involved in the liquor business since 1979. My grandfather bought uh, was, was a uh, manager of a uh, Cadillac dealership and uh, got let go in the late seventies. At the time, fuel prices were through the roof, uh, which we will also talk about with Trevor a little bit. Um, But the world was changing. The world was getting away from the big dinosaur uh, cars of the time, of the era, like Cadillacs and Buicks and moving into smaller import cars that were more fuel efficient and so my grandfather when he got let go uh, bought a small liquor store in east Hartford, brown street liquors which is still there Um, ironically or just coincidentally the first liquor store i ever wrote an order for as a salesperson was brown street liquor which is my grandfather's original store in 1979 Uh, but from there he expanded he bought a store in west Hartford, the cork model Uh, He had a store in uh, Burr Corners in Manchester. Um, He had the idea to open uh, what is now Manchester Wine and Liquors next to BJ's, which was Manchester Discount Liquors, which my dad owned. Um, And then we had another large uh, discount store in Woolkit called uh, Mountaintop. And so my family has been involved in one industry for since, you know, 41 years now and everybody's in it. My dad is, uh, my dad, my sister and I all have the same job. Uh, my sister and I are coworkers. My dad, uh, works for a a different competitive distributor that I used to work for. Uh, my aunt is in the industry. My cousins have dabbled in the industry. Um, you know, it's alcohol runs in our veins, so to speak. Um, but working with family is tough, you know, because you have your opinions. Um, how things should get done but everybody does and the difference with family is you know when you work for somebody they may not value your opinion they may not care about your opinion or they listen to what you have to say with family you've got that weird mix of at the end of the day if we don't get along we're still related and we still see each other you know if you have a job you don't like and you don't like your boss you can quit and never see that person again when you work with, with family it's just uh, totally different there's Sasha making her second appearance on a Sunday conversation podcast um, but you know for me it got to the point where it's tough working with family because you also can't say no right like you 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 know say I had plans on a Saturday and my grandfather needed me to come into the store and work for four hours well I can't say no to the guy you know he's he's given me everything um, but from there I left uh, the family business when I was twenty two uh, I worked full-time for him from the ages of 18 to 22 um and then when i was in high school i'd work on the weekends i'd work the summers uh and when i was a kid i used to go in on the weekends from time to time and just fuck around but um the thing about family business is it's uh, it's a little black and white right there's um you have the ability to learn and get taught firsthand um you know the the thing i'm most thankful for with my grandfather is that instead of just treating me like a, an employee you know that just had menial tasks, he would teach me why we were doing things, why we were paying sales tax. How did we track that? You know, why was shelf positioning important? You know, how to sell people wine, you know, 90% of the time, a customer that's looking for a wine recommendation has their mind made up. So you might just be steering them towards their own selection, uh, customer service, all that stuff. He taught me all of that, which has been invaluable in the eight years since then that I've been in my career, but it's, it's, all, it's all lessons that have been invaluable um, over time. But, you know, and, and at the end of the day, as you grow and mature and look back on it, you know, I, I, I'll never be able to p- repay my grandfather for the lessons he's taught me um, and the patience he had with me as, you know, someone in their late teens, early 20s. You know, you take a sense of pride in your family business, obviously. You, 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 you know, it's, it may not be yours personally, but it's yours in the sense that it's your family's Um, and so to look back on it now, you know, I was kind of a shithead. I wasn't always the best employee. Um, and he was patient with me and taught me and, and, you know, was definitely a key factor in shaping me into the person that I am today.
1: Yeah, man. It's like, same thing. I've, I took, I mean, I've been, I was like the annoying question asking kid. And it's like, looking back, I, I couldn't be happier because, Asking all those questions, I got a lot of answers, you know, and uh, it's all it's all I've really ever done my whole life is just constantly, you know, ask questions and and you know, I guess like read people's you know, points of view, but also like their their motivations, if that makes sense. So it's like I, you know, I feel like I have a pretty good judge of character, and um, you know, I feel as though the, like, the reason I've gotten that good judge of character is because I've, I've <clears throat> tried, you know, throughout my life to access people who I thought were, were good characters themselves. So, you know, it's like, if you seek out knowledge from someone, uh, see, I, I, everyone has something to offer you. Everyone's got something to offer you. That's the bottom line so it's like just seek knowledge from everybody um totally
0: totally i and i think there's i think there's a level of you know when it comes to judging character right it's one of the harder things to do because it's it's almost like a it's a skill you develop but there is like a sense of you know do you have it bred into you or not And, and i think when you work for a family business a small base a business, you, you learn to not take everything that everybody tells you at face value because you're sort of protective of the business, right? It's, it's more than just a, an entity that's, you know, registered with the state government and all that stuff. It's, you know, it's a sense of pride for who you are and who your family is. So I think judging character comes from, you know, you, you learn to be a little bit skeptical. You learn to not take everybody at face value and you learn who you can trust and who's just blowing smoke up your ass. And, you know, that's part of life, right? It's a, it's an invaluable skill that you can take into real life. You know, when you're talking to somebody, you know, you know, they say dogs are the best judge of character. You learn that skill by conducting small business. If you work for a major corporation and you're just taking orders from the top. Not that there's anything wrong with that at all. Um, you know, you, you're not questioning it as much and your opinion doesn't matter as much. Um, so you have to learn those skills elsewhere, uh, depending on, on what field you're in, where, you know, working in a small business, if you have some say in what happens, you learn to be protective, be cynical, be skeptical, ask questions. Um, and that all is part of the learning process, just like learning in life. Um,
1: I think th- it would be a great time to probably introduce our our first ever guest to the show.
0: Yeah, um, so um, so we had Trevor on. Trevor, just a little background, and he'll get into it a little bit more. But his family's owned gas stations um, in Texas since the '70s. Um, it's a it's an interesting listen. Interesting cat with um, you know a, a perfect example of somebody who went to work for their family business, but um, you know didn't just jump in, take a job and not learn anything from it. You'll hear he's, he's got plans for the future. He's, he's a sharp kid.
1: I'll even add one more thing. I mean, in the height of, of the, the 2008 recession, when everything was going down, he was a sophomore at Texas tech university. He was a, he was a dealt there and he came home. He left school um, to come home to, to help, Take care of his his family's small little empire. so uh, pretty admirable move right there. Um, you know i I spent my four years at college. i I lived them all. I didn't really you know have any thoughts of what was going on outside my myself. so um, that kind of shows shows you what kind of person he is right there. so um,
0: so let's uh, without further ado, let's send it over to
1: Trevor Artbur. And now, for our first ever guest, uh, my boss, good friend of mine. Uh, we've talked about him a couple times in the past here, but uh, Trevor Arterburn Trevor, hello. Hey guys, thanks, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for coming on, buddy, appreciate it. Um, so before we jump into kind of what the context of this episode is about, why don't uh, why don't you tell the people how you and Ben met, you know how you ended up having them? be an employee of yours,
2: all that stuff. Well, me and Ben met uh, about eight years ago, came down to Texas. Um, you know, we have some mutual friends, and I'm not a hockey player. I'm from Texas. Uh, but there were some some hockey players here. We had some mutual friends. And um, just over the years, me and Ben, uh, we had mutual interests, mutual ambitions, mutual goals. And uh, that's kind of what ignited our friendship and um, – it's continued on and now we're now we're getting our goals lined up and getting it done
1: yeah man it's uh it, it's definitely been uh I w- completely a mutual thing I always like the first time I met him it was like uh I, it, we were actually fishing at, at his at his parents house in the backyard and uh he's just kind of like cruising around like I felt a lot like you know, cause I grew up in the woods in Vernon riding quads around or, or whatever, s- screwing off. And he had this, you know, p- plot of land. I, I had a pond, he had a pond. I was like, oh, this, this kid kind of,
2: kind of gets, you know, w- what I kind of came from. Cause at that point it's like, and that's kind of funny. Cause whenever I went up to Vernon and saw your place, that's how I felt. I was like, this is kind of like Rockwall, you know, just real, you know, small town, good people, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. We I feel like talk- we do come from a very similar background. Our dads are almost the exact same person. Hoarders. Um, they're hoarders. Yeah. <laughs> does your dad hate Piano Man by Billy Joel as well? Um, <laughs> I think he does, honestly. I, I, I think my dad hates, hates all music. Uh, he's, very, he's a very uh, grumpy old man, actually, so. One
1: of the one of the most one of the most intelligent, savvy businessmen I've ever come across. Which which is why we're having his son as our first guest ever. Because um, it's like you like I've been here a year and a half in Texas, and I tell Trevor every day, it's like, man, I went to Castleton, but my real degree came from the U of A, the University of Arterburn, and like, you know, just all these all these things about life and business that that I feel are, are almost like kept from you and it's like unless you have a unless you have wisdom from the top or, or you know someone who's done it before um you know there's a lot a lot of stuff that goes on daily in business that that people don't think about and I mean I have a a pretty cool list of questions that you know we'll eventually get to but I mean right off the bat I mean just like Tax. How about that? Sales tax.
0: You know, it's like. It's brought a lot of people down. Sales tax has brought a lot of illegal operations down. Um, but before we jump into that, Trevor, why don't you kind of talk about what your family does, how your dad got started? Because I mean, you know, Ben and I kind of gave our backgrounds earlier about, you know, how we got involved because we both obviously come from small business. But why don't, um, why don't you tell the people about your
2: family's background? Sure, sure. Um- well, I guess I should go back to the beginning um, when my dad was growing up. You know, he grew up with, with nothing. Uh, he was the first one in his family to go to college. He put himself through college. Um, he started his first business when he was 17 doing um, above-ground pools and doing installation of pools. And uh, so he was doing that when he was 17. He saved enough, saved enough money over the summer which he always tells me, he's like, during that summer, I made more money than my dad made all year working at the uh, sewing factory. Wow. He, he made sewing machines. So when he was 17, he, ma- he made enough money to, to go to college, put himself through college. He was a FedEx driver, UPS driver through, through college. And then right out of college, um, he saw an ad in a paper for a, for a closed down gas station. Now, mind you, this was in 79. The interest rates at that time were upwards of 29%. Yeah, they're ridiculous. What? 29% interest rate. Oh, rates. my God. Yeah, and the economy was in the shitter, man. Americans weren't spending money. It was a fucking disaster. Oh, you had the oil embargo. You had the, you had the lines for fuel.
0: Yeah.
2: So there was allocation going around, which means gas stations couldn't get the fuel that they needed. And so what my dad started doing was he started buying up all these closed down gas stations and every single gas station that he bought up got him more allocation. Right. And um, this is whenever he made all of his money was in the early 80s through, you know, 89. And there's a lot of similarities. Me and him have been talking a lot lately about just the similarities of today's time and that time. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's wild. I mean, obviously it's wild, but um, okay. One of the questions I had written down, obviously, you know, I, I had I kind of jumped the gun before, but uh, Trevor, I want you to talk about the importance of owning the real estate under you as a, as a, as a business.
2: Well, it's always good to own the real estate. I mean, that's, that's the position you want to get to eventually, even if you are leasing, we always have you know a lease to purchase or you know a, a some kind of option in our lease to purchase. But um, yeah, it's always important to, to own the property. Um, what we do is we own the property in a limited partnership, and then that entity will lease it to the operating entity to run the the operations of the business. So. There's things that my dad has taught me just of the uh, capital structure, estate planning that is very important that you don't learn in school. You just don't.
1: I've already, I mean, I've mentioned it before. U of A, like that right there is like going to wake a lot of people up. Just that little, little comment that you made. It's just like, you know, the, the way that a business is built to the, um, to the untaught eye is just you
2: know businesses are people you know and you and you can separate yourself from the liability Mm -hmm. by putting extra layers it's all legal I mean it's nothing that isn't isn't done by all the big businesses right um if big businesses can do it uh then the little businesses can do it too so. It's actually interesting. McDonald's, I read
0: this somewhere one time, the McDonald's actually makes more money off their real estate annually than they do their food. Because their whole thing is they want to own, they own every building that they're in. And whether it's the McDonald's corporation owning the building and then leasing it to whoever the franchisee is, or the franchisee owning it and then giving a cut to McDonald's back, I mean, that's where the majority of their revenue comes from, is is real estate. Um but that, I mean that is important. And the other, like the other aspect of it is you know, if you get in a pinch and business goes south, well, now you have a tangible asset you can sell. And if you need to dig yourself out of a hole, business goes down, you can sell your real estate and at least come out with some money where if you lease your business, your business goes under, that's it. You just, yeah. you just lose it, you know? Or even
2: think about, um, tax for, for tax purposes, what do you pay the least amount of tax on? Lease income. Right. You pay, you know, 15% on lease income. So if you're if you're getting all the money anyways, you can have a little bit more lease. So then that company that is getting the rent is paying less taxes, and then your operating entity doesn't have to pay the thirty five percent tax on that extra income, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, totally. So at the at the peak of your of your dad's uh, gas station empire, how many how many uh, gas stations did you guys own?
2: Oh well, um, I I don't have the exact number, but it was somewhere between eighty and a hundred. That's crazy. Uh, how many guys? How many do you guys have now? Now we have about eight, and I've sold two, uh, and we yeah yeah we have about eight left. So, is Loyalty Liquors the first the first liquor store you guys have owned? The first one I've I've owned. First yeah. one I've owned. My dad did two or three other ones in the past and my dad's made a bunch of bad deals too. Um, sure. Some of the best deals my dad has done have been the deals he never did because he didn't lose his ass on them. Right. Uh, Right. That's what he says. But, um, it's the way that he's gone through this. He's, he's gone up and down. He's, he's made fortunes. He's lost fortunes and he's learned the hard way, you know? And so he's, he's tried to always tell me not, not, not to make the same mistakes he's done, but. You kind of got to get in there and make your own mistakes,
0: right? Well, it's 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 interesting. And sorry, Ben, I'll give you. I didn't mean to interrupt, but you know, I I mentioned a couple couple episodes ago. The only way you you learn is to lose. I mean, you, you learn nothing from winning. Um, but it is interesting though when you like you just talked about like you making your own mistakes and him making the same mistakes or whatever. I, I have a seventeen year old brother, and it's funny because I see him doing a lot of the same shit I did at his age. And like, you know, it's, it's weird, right? Cause I'm so much older than him and I want to be like, Hey dude, like listen to me. I know from personal experience, like that's not going to work out. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, I made the same mistake and things worked out okay for me. So you kind of have to just let people make their mistakes and learn on their own. Otherwise they're never going to grow. If you just step in and, and fix it for them, you know? 100%. Yeah. no,
1: Nobody is perfect. No one is perfect. And the, um, I, I, maybe you could almost say the most perfect person is the one who learns from each, each mistake that they, they make. Um, it's like, you, you've heard, you, you know, you've heard the quote that, uh, which Trevor and I have, have talked about, you know, quite a bit. It's, it's, you know, 60% of second generation businesses fail, 90% of third generation businesses fail. And with that being said it's it's you know going back to to mindset it's like if you're given something you you aren't going to appreciate it as much as if you earned it yourself so like yeah it it, sometimes it's great and it's and it's hopefully you're, you know, along with being given the gift, you're also given the gift of knowledge, like, hey, sure. the reason you're be, you're given this gift is because, you know, we were, you know, I was smart, and I was able to do this. And now I want you to be smart. And, you know, and, and you'll be able to give this same gift to, you know, so and so down the line. So it's like, if you're handed something with no knowledge, and then you put in no effort to achieve it chances are you may lose it or or at least not respected enough to to you know hold on to it whatever it may be you know uh so
2: you know I that's think that's very true Ben and I think there's another side to that too of someone that takes over a company um, almost a, almost a fear of of losing it you know you don't keep up with the times you don't, you don't invest in, in moving the business forward. So you just stay stagnant. And everyone knows that if you're not moving up, you're, you're going down. If you're not gaining knowledge, you're losing knowledge because everyone else is out there working twice as hard as you are. And if you're not staying with the times and moving up and making your business better than you're, then you're going to lose it.
1: I have a perfect story for this right here. Uh, What's today? It's Saturday morning, Thursday morning, uh, Thursday evening. I went into, I've mentioned, mentioned them before Luigi's, the little Italian restaurant right around the corner from me. They, They have my favorite pizza in town. Okay. I walk in the door. Okay. And the, the old gentleman that owns the store, he's right there. He's, He's sweating because he's got less employees there. He's, I walk in and their entire dining room is is completely um, taped off. They are redoing the entire restaurant, and I was like, I was like, look at you, man. I was like, smart man. That's a smart man. So here, a guy who is in the middle of a, a pandemic, absolutely putting a gun to his head in terms of his business, keeping his business afloat. He's got multiple locations, you know, they're only doing takeout. And what is this guy doing? He's, he's redoing the inside of his restaurant because there's nobody in there. So he's not losing business. Um, you know, be, because it's closed for um, construction, you know, he, he's, he's, pig piling it on top of this pandemic okay and so this isn't even the best part of the story S- he's got his son in in there who, who you know i see often works in there and then his son's buddy and his son's buddy is obviously very friendly with with the the owner you know it's it's his son's best friend he, he actually said this yesterday and uh and i had just said something like i was like i was like you know like I, i'm I'll support you. I'm 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 proud of you guys. I was like, you know, I I I don't ever want to see you shut down. And and the son's friend sitting on a stool, you know, younger kid, probably like 17 years old, goes, <clears throat> uh, he just loves money too much. And the old the 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 guy who owned it, he had this like look come over his face and like his heart, his heart, like you could see his heart inside of his inside of his chest. And he goes, no, no, he. I, I'm not, I'm not even sure if he's like Italian or what he's like, no, no. He's like, it's not about the money. It's not about the money. And like, you could tell he's getting a little bit, a little bit more like fierce. He's like 31 years, 31 years. I do this. I, I not just give up, you know, it, like just meaning like he's poured his heart. Like this guy, he works every day. He's got a full staff. Everyone loves working there. I mean, it's a great place. Like the the town's always going in there. But there's a kid, a young kid who who doesn't understand really what's going on in the pandemic. You know, he's like, whatever. He, he's he's there working, but just throws like, oh, he just loves money. And and the older gentleman, I wish I knew his name, but he's like, it's not about that. He's like, it's about these guys, and he's like pointing to his his kitchen staff there's only like four of them working right now but they're still you know doing takeout orders and it just like it was like that's what it is right there like here we are in a full-blown pandemic restaurants are, are closed down they're shutting down and this guy's making like last i mean who knows maybe he's been saving for this forever and he's doing completely all right but he's making an effort to like okay i'm gonna come out of this thing on top like i'm my customers are gonna come in, they're gonna see a spotless, you know, brand new floors. Like, you know, people are gonna be comfortable eating in my restaurant. And that's what's gonna happen moving forward. You know, it's gonna be, it's gonna come down to the to the sanitary, you know, like the environment. It's like, you know, the cockroaches in, in the gross old little restaurant are, are probably gonna be gone. I, I just have a feeling <laughs> Code, like codes and regulations are, are going to change. I'm sorry. I've went on for a long time, but I just felt it was important. Um, go ahead. Whoever, whoever wants to jump in.
2: Well, I love Luigi's. I know that. That guy, he, I mean, he just built a whole new restaurant too last year. Like right, right before you came down, he he rebuilt that entire building. And I've known that guy for probably my whole life. We've been going there my whole life. And um, that's, that, that is a good story. That's a true sign of a good, leader right there a good business owner because the one thing i took from that really is that he said that his number one thing were the guys standing behind him you know his his employees and that is probably the number one thing about a successful business is the people you have working for you
0: oh i mean totally and i i don't know i don't know if if you've experienced this in in your liquor store at all because we've you know we've had liquor stores since since 79 so 41 years now. but it, when it comes to the liquor business, like good employees are, are very difficult to find because unlike, you know, unlike a pizza restaurant where maybe the biggest temptation you have is handling cash in the till, you know, there's temptation everywhere. There's, there's alcohol everywhere. You've got people doing tastings. There's open bottles everywhere. Oh, yeah. And for the average person, like, you know, it's not easy to resist that temptation. Now, I grew up around it. So as a kid, I was in and out of liquor stores, all the time. You know, every Sunday I'd go to the liquor store with my grandfather when it was closed and he'd do the books and I'd just run around the store and shit. But so for me, there was never this like fascination with alcohol, but for the average person when they go to work at a liquor store, like you're just surrounded by this temptation. So I don't know if you guys have had, you know, employee issues or you find that to be a difficult thing, finding
2: good help other than, other than Ben. Well, your number one, Ben Ben's an anomaly, by the way. Um, yeah, he's a fucking weirdo. <laughs> right, right. But but we we love him. So uh, employees are definitely the number one hardest thing. You know, gas station employees. Talk about that. Yeah. First. Sure. Think about the turnover on gas station employees. Um, but liquor employees. Uh, the first employee I hired, I caught him stealing. Um. You know, yeah, right now I'm lucky because I have probably three good guys that I can trust there. Right. Um, I've actually probably gotten a godsend of an employee named Ken. Uh, he has totally transformed that store, got it completely organized, or, organized the cooler like nobody's business. He worked for an- Anheuser-Busch for, you know, 20 years, worked up for, uh, I think y'all talked Miller, about Miller Brewing. Yeah, he's just, he's a great guy. Uh, probably the best customer service guy that I've ever met in my life. Unbelievable. Ben, you could learn a couple things from him on customer <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, you're
1: <laughs> Oh,
2: totally. No, no. I mean, it, it's,
1: uh, and for me, it's, it's amazing because, I mean, I've gotten to, I've gotten to watch it from, from the um, September when I came, I had come down in September, 2017. Wait. Twenty
2: eighteen.
1: Was it 2018? Yeah. So I oh, was sorry. September twenty eighteen to to help build a counter and uh the, the point of sale like checkout or uh, the bar, sorry. And um at that point Trevor had Trevor had no permits, no nothing. He's like, <laughs> this was a gamble. It was a straight gamble. He's like his his dad told him he wouldn't be able to get the store open. Everyone his told brother me. Brother told him he wouldn't be able to get the store open. And uh all because of like permit issues and they had there was a store there before they had go ahead go ahead Aaron. Uh, weren't
0: you weren't you guys working like under the cover of darkness so that oh, nobody would see what you was want going to on talk about it you want to talk we
1: had the about the windows
2: shit. blacked out uh we we had our our electrician going there from like midnight to six in the morning doing all the lights work and
0: <laughs>
2: uh, yeah yeah we were definitely doing it under the <laughs> under the radar <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, hey,
1: we're we're all we're legal, and it was it, it was just we were waiting on permits, and then as soon, right. as, we, as, soon as we got those permits, we one uh, year
2: later we're the number one liquor store in the colony. Yeah, it,
1: it's amazing! It, it's amazing! I I tell you how much work was done in that one hour from when we unveiled the uh, <laughs> from when we took the covers off off the window. <laughs> holy smokes you guys must have a team of 200 employees in here you keep a lot done. no 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 we've been working for the last month and a half under the cover of darkness
0: no it's interesting i mean i don't know what the, the permit laws are like in texas and unfortunately the last time that we actually built a liquor store from the ground up i was only 12 11 or 12 so i you know i don't remember much about the process but in dealing with uh liquor stores here i used to call on a group um that has two stores in New Haven, uh, the Wine Thief, very, so their business model is they like to have uh, products that you're not going to find at a bunch of other liquor stores, so that they can charge you a little bit more for and make higher gross profit, but at the same time, their staff is all super knowledgeable, so they can, you know, if you come in and you say, hey, I like, you know, Pinot Grigio, they might recommend something you've not heard of before, but odds are you'll probably like it, they're they're great people, great people, um, but so they had two stores in New Haven, and then they wanted to open a third store in Madison. And so Madison is kind of a older, like a beach community, you know, has a, has a migrant population that once the summer comes, the population increases by like 300%, but older, wealthy, you know, waspy, uh, waspy population. And here in new Haven, whenever they need to get stuff done, they would just grease the zoning officials and they would, and they get their permits like that. Madison didn't work like that. So they had, their store was, they wanted it to be open by Thanksgiving. They ended up not being able to open until like just
2: after the new year, you know? So do y'all have like wet dry lines? Like, is there certain counties that are, that have liquor and certain?
0: No, no. The whole, the whole, like that's I know that's still a thing in the South where, uh, you know, you still have like counties in Tennessee, like the County that Jack Daniels is in is a dry County. Um, But no, every, there's no, no, the whole state is wet here. Um, but it's just every, every town, you know, has their own government and their own way of doing things. And so like, sometimes it's easy to get stuff done other towns. It's not, you know, it all, it all depends. I mean, it's all part of the variables that go into the equation.
1: Hey, one thing I, I mentioned yesterday in, on my Instagram story, uh, as I was out at the liquor store, I was just talking about how, uh, rewind a hundred years and, alcohol was prohibited from, you know, by the U S government. And here we are, it's, you know, a hundred years later and it's, it's an essential, it's deemed essential. And uh, I was reading, you know, some, some of the reasons why it's deemed essential. And uh, one of the things I saw that just absolutely blew my mind was that it's because the, the effects of alcohol withdrawal are, are like, Severe enough to require hospitalization, and the hospitals just don't have the room right now. That was I mean, that was what the that's what the Texas governor uh, wrote in in a um, in a memo.
0: Well, that's that's the main. Re- I mean, that's the main. Re- you can die from alcohol withdrawals. Like it is possible to die from alcohol withdrawals, but it's not just that. It's lawlessness too. So, <clears throat> quick story: My grandfather, who's eighty-four years old, works every single day open to close by himself um has hasn't taken more than a day or two off in the last 12 years since we bought our our current store um he decided to shut down now um uh, two weeks ago now um he worked the end of the day sunday closed the store obviously being 84 years old he's the most at risk um and, you know, he doesn't necessarily need the money to keep going. The store's got plenty of emergency funds and all that. Store was closed for less than 24 hours and somebody smashed a window and broke it. And uh, so I called him to ask him about it. And, you know, thankfully he's in good spirits. He, he couldn't care less. Um, but the, you know, at night we always would leave the drawer open because the register is, um, you know, next to a big plate glass window and so we would leave the drawer open to show that there's no money in the drawer. But what we think happened is someone walked by, saw that the drawer was open, and decided to smash the window because they thought maybe we had left it open by accident and that the till was sitting in there. Um, but so those are the two main reasons is they can't have alcoholics taking up hospital beds. And they're worried about lawlessness, which is a legitimate thing, because if the alcoholics aren't taking up hospital beds, they're trying to break into liquor stores and get their fix, you know?
1: Interesting. That's a, I mean, it's, you know, like we've said a hundred times now, wild times. Um, but going back to, to having, you know, Trevor on, I do, I want to talk about, um, well, I guess I have two sort of questions. What, what you think Trevor, the The future kind of holds for the, the gasoline industry Um you know, there's a lot going on with like oil prices right now. And, you know, obviously just yeah. go, yeah, go ahead. Talk.
2: Yeah. I mean, you yeah, have Saudi Arabia and Russia going through the price war. I mean, gas prices are dropping right now. I mean, uh, and it's going to continue to drop. I think it's going to drop until we, until we get a deal done between Saudi Arabia and Russia, it's going to keep going down. So don't be investing in any oil companies at this time Um, pipeline companies you might want to invest in because there's going to be a lot running through the pipelines. And um, so I guess like in terms of, you know, how the fuel actually
1: gets to the gas station um, you know, like you want to just talk about that.
2: Sure. Um, So most people have probably seen gas trucks driving down the highway, you know, Full of, full of gas well they pick those up from a terminal and uh, the terminal is located you know in major cities you know Dallas Austin Tyler Houston uh, but then there's pipelines that ship the fuel between the refinery and the terminals so there's you know hundreds of pipelines coming into Dallas from from Houston and huh. um, you know every single gallon that gets pumped through those pipelines is, is dollars for for the pipeline company. kind of like freight no no matter how how much the fuel is freight's always going to be the same right you know you're going to pay the same amount for freight well if gas goes down it may go down a little bit based off the fuel but um the main thing that people are going to be making money on over the next you know few months or as long as this fuel crisis is going on is going to be the pipeline companies uh because they're pushing so much fuel and the the, the supply is overloaded right now and that's what's pushing the price down. Demand has dropped, supply has skyrocketed. Mm. So what you get is dropping fuel prices and, um, and all of the oil companies in Texas, North Dakota, that are actually exploring, trying to, trying to find oil, they, they can't make money at this level. They can't make money anything less than $55 a barrel you know, and we're going at $20 a barrel right now. Back to kind of Ben's original question there. What what do you feel
0: about the future of, you know, gasoline and oil, considering as a, as a planet and especially a country, it seems like we're trying to kind of move away from oil energy. Now, I, that's going to take a long fucking time because America yeah. is extremely dependent on oil. Yeah. Um, but do you feel that there's that there's changes the average gas station can make focus more on diesel maybe. Um, I don't know. Why don't you, why don't you give us your thoughts on
2: that? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, well, there's been a lot of work being done on, on natural gas. Um, right. natu- there's, there's whole fleets of, you know, city vehicles, buses that are, that run completely off, off natural gas. So that is, I think the next step into, um, the fuel industry that, that I would like to take, uh, is, you know, LNG, which is liquid natural gas, and CNG, yep. compressed natural gas. Um, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that is being done on that right now, that I think is basically the future of of the industry. But time will tell on that. It's going to be a while. Gas stations aren't going away anytime soon. Right, right. No, I mean it, the the country has been
0: fuel dependent for oil dependent for a long, long time, and. You know, unfortunately, there's just no, there's no moving quickly. You know, and, and like I don't have like an electric car or anything like that, so it, it, it'll probably, to be honest with you, probably won't be by the end of our lifetime, or
1: maybe towards the end of our lifetime. Um, yeah, that was. I mean, one thing I was going to say, just off a pure like percentage standpoint. I mean, look at the vehicles on the road. It's like you're seeing, you know, you're seeing an electric car, you know, five percent of the time. So, I mean it all comes back to cost as well. Like you're going to have to, now these people are going to have to, or anyone that's got a, a, a gas vehicle is going to, would have to get rid of their car, buy a new vehicle. And then I guess like buy the at home charging station, yeah, like I'm, yeah.
2: charging station is like, what a hundred grand or something. See, yeah, I don't know. I, it's, it's, I, I don't know what it costs either, but I mean, I don't know, but.
0: it's, it's almost like, um, actually this is, this will tie in perfectly because of what day it is. It's almost like when plasma TVs first came out, right. You know, they were these big, like clunky things, but they were smaller than the big TVs at the time. They were flat screens. Um, our buddy, John Riley, whose birthday it is today. Shout out Johnny. Happy birthday, buddy. I doubt you're listening in the hills of Montana. Um, mm-hmm but th- his grandfather had bought him one of like the very first plasma TVs to hit the market. It's like 48 inches. It cost $15,000, $15,000. Nowadays you can go buy, you know, a 48 inch flat screen for 250 bucks. Um, so 2 I think, HD. Like yeah. 4, 4k ultra HD is smart TV for 250 bucks. So I just think that like the technology is there but it isn't to the point where it's ready to be like widely distributed like as somebody who drives all the time for work you know I drive 35,000 to 40,000 miles a year I can't have an electric car because what if I forget to charge it you know then why I'm just not gonna work you know like and and that would be on me but the point is is like the technology isn't quite there yet where it can be assimilated into normal life without any issue.
1: Yeah. Until they pop some solar panels on the rooftop, that would make a little bit of sense. And it just drives all the time. But, um, so I guess going back, uh, Trevor, then what, what do you, this is kind of like the last question I had written down and it's, it ties in. What, what do you, where, like, what would you like to have accomplished in five years? You know, and I understand that, that things will come up and, um, you know, it's really hard to to predict anything but you know from from your perspective um you know five years from now you from what it sounds like you've told the people you got a liquor store a few gas stations and we are in a a time that your dad says resembles a time in history where he once did very well for himself mm-hmm. so go ahead and elaborate there
2: yeah, so um, so I'm, I'm I'm working on a couple things, and obviously it's good to have goals. Uh, you know, small time goals and long time goals. One of my five year plans, uh, hopefully it's sooner than five years, but to get a a jobbership field distribution company set up. Um, that is what my dad used to. Do. Do. and that's what he started back in the 80s he went and bought a bunch of job and uh was able to expand his business exponentially on that um so i'm working with a few different fuel suppliers fuel companies that y'all would know um i can't say it right now but um yeah i've got some we got some things in the plan to to expand the fuel distribution company and uh I mean, the the liquor store is doing great right now. So I'd like to add a couple of those too.
1: Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it's, it's amazing to see how, how everything has worked, you know, for you and, and during this, uh,
2: I guess we can call them trying times for the majority it's Great to see you grow during this time. Look at you guys. You are doing a podcast right now. I'm really impressed by this and I, I, I admire you guys for, for doing this, so. Congrats. it's actually kind of, it's it's kind of bullshit i've seen like four or five like well-known people in high
0: position start podcasts in the last week and i'm sitting here thinking ben and i had this idea before coronavirus even hit i think our first episode came out like a week before things started to shut down and now all these motherfuckers are recording podcasts like
1: which is good which is good that's what no we want. It's, great. Like, it's
0: great it's great it's I'm, great i'm glad to see that people are taking advantage of the time um but uh no, I, I mean, Trevor, honestly, ever, you know, you and I met last summer at the beach and, and, you know, I could tell that Ben was in good hands, um, you know, working with somebody who's obviously intelligent and a, and a good dude with, uh, with a good head on his shoulder. So, um, thanks for taking care of him. You know, he's, uh, he's a buddy. Of I mean, I knew he'd always figure it out, but it's nice to see that he's got somebody directing him, uh, you know, pointing him in the right direction.
1: Oh yeah. Learning more than you could ever imagine. So, uh, if yeah. anything, he, he's like turning me into a super soldier right now.
2: Hey, have you have you ever <laughs> seen that movie Multiplicity? Uh, oh, yeah. I have. <laughs> yeah. have you seen Multiplicity? All right, that was one of my favorite movies growing up, and I always wanted to have a twin, a clone. Yeah. Okay, Ben is the first worker clone. You know the, the one that comes out and he's the construction worker. Yeah. That that yep, is Ben. A hundred percent.
1: I love it. I love it. It's, uh, it's fun. I mean, like, I, I mean, I think the whole gist of this podcast was kind of, I mean, I think now we're starting to get to a point where we're taking it, you know, for a turn to where we want, you know, it it to get to, um, use your words, Ben, um, you know, and like that being said we want to learn like we want to, we want to better ourselves every day. Um, you know, be the best version of ourselves and uh you can't do that unless you're you know checking out new avenues
2: you know hearing hearing new things ask so- questions ask ask the ask the people that know go to the people older than you you know that know more than you and ask questions that's that's what you got to do uh,
0: it's, uh, some of the best advice ever is trust people who know more about a subject than you you know like There's, I think we all kind of go through it when we're growing up where like you have this like feeling of invincibility and you feel like you know everything and you know, you don't listen to anybody. And then you get to a point where you realize like you can learn more from people by listening to them as opposed to just bulldozing your way over them. And you know, when that really started to click for me, I think that's when like I started to grow as a person where it's like, it's not about what you think, you know, you're a very small cog in a gigantic uh, wheel. Um, So... Uh, great advice. Great advice. Listen to people that know more about subjects than you. It's the only way to learn. Um, even if you don't take their advice, at least listen to what they have to say.
1: Yeah. And and also, I mean, just touching back on the, uh, on just the state that we're in, like, I think another important thing right now is to just kind of, it's to, to go back inside of, of yourself and just, you know, reevaluate a few things and, um, you know, like Aaron we've talked before like I sent you the thing it's like you can't have the 50th until you have the first right. well it's like you can't do the 10th push up until you do the first push up or right. you, know, you can't have your 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 third bottle of water for the day until you have your first so you know if you're you know there's no there's no bad time to start anything in life like um you know it's like
2: we just planted four trees the other day i mean it's probably not going to you know give fruit for what another 10 years but we started it yeah yeah there
0: you go no i I mean it's totally you know it's funny i think like as a kid you have this like view of what your life is going to be when you hit certain certain ages and then as you grow you start to realize that maybe that wasn't fully reasonable you know i for some people it works out but life takes us all down different paths but the key is just keep growing as a person and then you'll find the point where if you do the take the time to self-reflect like you'd be like you know i i actually kind of like who i am i like what i turned into and these are the things that led me here and these are the things that will lead me forward because you've learned from that experience so i i think you know i think we're we're you know all all making great points and you know maybe none of us know shit but who cares right
1: oh hey it doesn't matter hey three
2: three is better than one so amen (laughs) yeah well trevor um I really appreciate
1: you coming on. And, uh, you know, maybe I would love if we if we did like a a monthly check in with you and uh, just kind of got your got your thoughts on, you know, anything life, um, just stuff that that maybe people should know if they're if they're running a a small business, you know, it's like, like, we're living in a time now where, you know, there's a ton of young entrepreneurs starting stuff. And it's, if, uh, you know, maybe it'll, you know, like you've said multiple times, you're not, you're not giving the information from you, you know, it's like, you've been taught this information, you've evaluated it, you know, and, uh, you know, made your own, you know, judgment from from the info that you've been given. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's it's cool to hear from someone your own age that's doing something. And, right. uh, you know, hey, we just said it. It's like, learn, learn from people who know more than you. So, uh,
2: and yeah. then you just said it again, always, always ask questions about that information that you're getting. Don't just take it blindly. Um, always do your own research.
1: Love it, man. Well, Hey, thank you so much, uh, for, for coming on. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm a great first guest, man. I mean, it's going to be a hey, uh, pleasure. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah, right. fucking I'll rice, you, buddy I'll
2: be around. Thanks for coming
0: on, Trev. Appreciate it. All
2: right, guys. Keep it up.